Welcome back to DC EKG with Joe Grogan and Eric Euland. Eric, it's good to see you again. Joe, great to see you. Looking forward to this conversation today. Me too. This is going to be one of my uh, favorite people in the world and one of my favorite colleagues, yours and mine, from the White House, Casey Mulligan, who was at the Council of Economic Advisors. Casey, thanks for joining. Hey, Joe. Good to see you guys. So let's start a little bit for those people who don't know who you are, the, the few limited Americans who are not, uh, have, uh, not familiar with who Casey Mulligan is. Let's talk about your background for a little bit. You're a professor at the University of Chicago, an economist. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from Illinois, uh, but not the city. Uh, my parents and grandparents were glad to have escaped the city. And I guess history is repeating itself uh, these days, I'm afraid. Yeah. So then where'd you get your PhD in economics? At the University of Chicago. Undergrad there too? No, I was an undergrad at Harvard. Um, and kind of the supply side orientation, there was only a handful of us. It was kind of lonely. So, um, so I moved to Chicago and I really liked it. I'll bet. But what drew you to economics? You know, it's one of those, uh, kind of fluky stories. I thought I was a math guy, and but the math professors weren't very nice. <laughs> and Marty Feldstein was my uh, first economics professor and also my couple other classes. And Marty and was, he was the former chairman of Council of Economic Advisors under, under Reagan. Under President yeah, Reagan. so, yeah. I mean, he, he in some sense, he was much more important than any of my math professors, but he still had time to uh, welcome me to the profession um, in a number of ways he did that and that that kind of swayed me I, I dro dropped a lot of that math aspiration and switched into economics when you started at the council of economic cea the council of economic advisors under trump was that your first stint in government yeah i did interview twice in the bush administration for cea but uh we, we never closed the deal on either of those occasions you have a theory as to why yeah. Um, the, the first time it was done, Bernanke was the chair, and Bush was quite interested in uh, privatizing Social Security. And I thought that was a bad idea. I thought the Chilean system was headed for a wreck in about 30 years down the road. Turns out um, you're right. Yeah. And, and I had a busy family life at the time. Not that it's ever not busy. So that didn't work. And then the second time I had done work on uh, on competition at, in the political sector in particular, uh, I looked at dictatorships, guys like Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi. Yeah, they're bad guys, but what comes next? And I thought it was a bad idea to take out bad guys like that. Um, and so the Iraq war is very much against that. And I was frank in my interview. <laughs> The third time, Casta told me, don't be so frank in your interviews. But <laughs> I was frank in my interview, and I told him I, I thought that was a terrible idea, and it was, uh, you're going to end up with a worse situation than the situation you didn't like. Yeah, you made a reference to Hassett. You mean Kevin Hassett, who ultimately became chair of uh, the Council of Economic Advisors under President Trump. And you, you worked for him. I think it's worth noting, I didn't know you before. Uh, that period. And when somebody said, oh, there's a new guy joining CEA, his name's Casey Mulligan. I said, who's that? And Larry Kudlow said, he's the smartest guy uh, you'll ever meet. He's going to be the smartest guy in the White House. 
and that's that's how I was uh, introduced to Casey Mulligan. So it was a pretty good endorsement. Larry doesn't really suffer fools too too easily, and it certainly bore out in my time uh, in the White House. It was it was fun working on you. What what did you what did you concentrate your time on in CEA? You know, believe it or not, I came with a plan, a twelve step plan. I thought I could help the president. Um, with the talents, the talents that I have, I have a lot of talents I don't have, but the talents I have, I thought could help in these 12 ways. And on day one, I got my badge and day two, I uh, explained that to, to Hassett and the, and the CEA members. And they said, let's get started. Supposedly the White House was chaotic, but it turned out to be extremely predictable. I did those 12 things. Um, and I finished the 12th one with seven or six hours to go on my last day. So and, and those things include, um, I felt the president need to be well-educated about socialism and its history because he had political opponents who apparently forgot that history. And it would be good for him to talk about that with the great megaphone that he has. Um, I thought he needed to talk about wages. Um, that had been ignored. It, was been, it hadn't been really done right. The tax cut was delivering higher real wages for people. Um, so I did that. And that's when I testified in... Uh, Congress. Um, and then especially the deregulatory agenda. It's amazing what he did and the team did around deregulation, but it comes in so many pieces. I thought one of my talents would be, how can I summarize those pieces? How can we wrap our minds around it so that the president can communicate those successes, which are harder to communicate than kind of budgetary uh, laws that would get passed because they can be summarized. Oh, we cut taxes by X trillion. It's kind of one number. But as a longtime budget guy, completely agree with you. So how did you turn that into a summary of of the substance that the president and other principals at the White House could communicate easily and clearly that the public would understand? We we did two things. The the one that I finished with six hours to go was uh, the really a total number. Uh, we're saving uh, each family $2,500 a year. And the way we came up with that is I thought, well, I thought at first OMB would have good numbers because actually executive orders require them to keep numbers. Turned out their numbers are really bad, um, especially Obama's OMB were terrible. Um, they weren't even qualitatively correct. So then I thought, okay, what Maybe what I'll do is try to find the big ones. How do I find the big ones? Well, I looked at the ones that got a lot of public attention, either through the comment process. You know, most regulations get zero comments because they're kind of small things. Um, so we took the ones that got a lot of comments, the ones that Congress were on through the Congressional Review Act. Again, that's a kind of a level of public attention. And then, then I did an analysis of each one. There were 21 of them. So, Casey, those 21 regulations are those that were canceled by Congress, signed into effect by President Trump, which wiped out Obama regulations, right? Yeah, most of them were reversals of Obama regulations uh, or or Obama laws. Some of them were laws like um, getting rid of the individual mandate penalty or um, allowing some of these smaller banks to be exempt from uh, from Dodd-Frank rules. Certain requirements. But, yeah. But at the end, there is a very significant impact on uh, American citizens' bottom lines as a result of these actions that we took. Definitely. And then the other thing we did is focus on some of those 
you know, they varied in their timing, you know, like the auto rule is going to take place down the road, but some of the stuff like FDA um, streamlining entry into generic drugs that had already happened. We could already look at the results and we saw prescription drug prices fell for the first time in 46 years. Trump said it was first time in 50 years, but the real number was 46. We just rounded um, up, Casey. That's right. And, but that, you know, that's something that people could very much see. And, um, and that's that reversed would, under President Biden, correct? Well, we'll see. Um, I haven't quite seen the numbers yet. He's certainly taken steps to allow the FDA to go back to its old way of doing things. So I would expect that, yes, it would be harder to enter the drug industry, and that would help the existing drug companies charge a lot. Thanks, Casey. That's a great moment to pause. And Eric, thank you. We hope everyone listening will join us for part two for our conversation with Casey Mulligan from the University of Chicago.